I'm Julie Sabatier, and this is Rendered. Okay, close your eyes. Unless you're driving, then don't close your eyes. But otherwise, close your eyes. I want you to imagine you're driving east, up into the mountains, up the wet western slopes of the Cascade Range in Washington State. The air through your open window smells like damp earth and the bright needle sweetness of Douglas fir. Producer Phoebe Flanagan did this drive recently. And you're gaining elevation, winding higher and higher through Snoqualmie Pass until it crests and you start to kind of roll down. You're not sure where the road is going to take you. And the vegetation begins to change. It's drier now. The sky seems somehow bigger. You wind through sagebrush and apple orchards and town after small rural town. Places with names like Thorpe and Gleed. Until you come across a rickety old sign that says, Tieton. You drive right into Tieton's single street downtown. Turn the corner, and there are these warehouses. Massive, echoing warehouses. They seem like they're vacant until people begin to emerge. Bookbinders, cheesemakers, painters, kite builders, cider pressers. They're here, making things, in this big warehouse in this strange little town. Welcome to Tieton, population 1,200. In some ways, it's your quintessential Mayberry. Three churches, an antique shop, a couple of cafes, no highway, no railroad. And for the most part, people here make their money farming apples. But unlike most other farming towns in the region, Tieton is also something of a destination for artists and urban creatives from across the country. Today, we're taking a look at how these people ended up in Tieton and how their presence here has changed this town. It all started with this guy named Ed Marquand. He's owned a successful book publishing company in Seattle since 1978. He sports round spectacles and a short salt and pepper beard. And he's responsible for bringing the urban arts community into rural Tieton. See, Ed's vision for the town started to take shape more than 10 years ago. He and his partner, Mike Longyear, owned a cabin in central Washington. They'd been visiting regularly since the late 80s, but Ed had never been to Titan before. Early in the summer of 2005, Ed was on a bike ride when he saw the rickety little sign. With nothing else to do that afternoon, he rode into Titan. I thought, huh, this is an interesting, funny little place. So I pulled into a parking lot behind one of the warehouses and hit a bunch of goathead thorns, which are these diabolical little weeds that grow in the cracks of asphalt. No matter how they fall, the, the spines always stick up. In 10 feet, I had 18 punctures. Ed spent the rest of the afternoon patching up his tires in this little park in the middle of the town square, but as he was sitting there patching his tires, he began to hatch this idea. The longer I was in the park and the more I looked around, the more curious I was about these empty storefronts. It was obvious that the town really needed an injection of something. It needed an injection of life. Things were really not healthy. But it wasn't squalid. It was just kind of without a lot of hope. Now, Tieton wasn't always that way. If you found yourself in downtown Tieton back in the 1950s or 60s, you could go to a movie, get a haircut, buy groceries, even get your prescription filled. Back then it was prosperous. There was a lot of people here. Speed Hugel. Who has an awesome name. Speed remembers what it was like. I caught up with him at Titan's only bar. It's called Bootlegger's Cove. 
At 5 p.m. on a Saturday, the tables were nearly full and the counter was packed. Big picture windows let in the afternoon sunlight. And in the kitchen, the owners were cooking up a pot roast. I'm 65 years old and I've lived here all my life. Titan was a very popping town. There's a lot of things here that has not come back into life. There used to be a hardware store here, a theater. We're sitting right here, right now, as we're speaking, we're sitting in a bank. Basically, they went out of business. It's, it's kind of unreal. Matter of fact, there's been some research done on that. That's Stanley Hall, the mayor of Titan. He explained how Titan went from a prosperous little town that Speed remembers to the rundown place Ed Marquand stumbled upon 10 years ago. As the nearby city of Yakima grew, big box stores with cheap products moved in, and all of the local mom-and-pop stores dried up. Meanwhile, agribusiness and migrant labor undercut many of the farming jobs in town, and folks started moving away. And the trend just continued until there really wasn't much left. And that, that's, that's been uh, the issue, and, and it's not just here. It happens uh, throughout the Midwest and uh, I'm sure some small towns in you know California and Oregon. Stanley used to live in California. He moved to Titan just 10 years ago, around the same time that Ed rolled into town. He was already retired and never imagined he'd become the mayor. I've hated politics all my life. <laughs> I've never, it's something I never in, even dreamed about. I got talked into this job and I found out I do like it, but I'm not really playing politics. I, I run the city as a business. As a businessman, Stanley doesn't mince words about Titan's economic prospects. We are a bedroom community. We set out in the middle of nowhere. We do not have a rail line. Everything's done by truck. So chances are you're not going to get any manufacturing here. So if you don't grow your residential base, then you're not going to grow at all. You have to have development to keep your head above water. If property taxes go up a little bit, well, that's the price you pay. Ed was enchanted by Titan. He saw a lot of potential in its empty storefronts and abandoned warehouses. After his run-in with the goat-head thorns, he just couldn't stop thinking about what it would be like to give those spaces new life. He thought he might be able to solve two problems at once. Ed was looking for ways to make his book publishing business more interesting and relevant, and he needed to expand. In fact, he knew a lot of creative people in Seattle who wanted to expand their businesses. But Seattle real estate costs were quickly climbing out of most people's price range. Meanwhile, Tyaton seemed like it could use an economic boost. So we thought, well, huh, wonder what happens if we take a town that is really economically challenged and see if we could create this relationship where we're able to realize our ambitions by taking advantage of the very inexpensive real estate, but also to be able to hire the people who live and work in the area and who are looking for new work. Ed envisioned setting up a sort of incubator for artisan businesses in Titan. He'd use his own finances to buy up some real estate, train locals in trades like laser cutting and bookbinding. Besides creating jobs, the project could pump money back into the local economy through taxes and tourism. It seemed to him like a foolproof plan. 
but he had to get some friends on board with the program first. So, late in the summer of 2005, he and his partner Mike started bringing them to Titan. He had a little Honda, I think an 84 Honda, and we would always drive around the net. That's Kerry Quint. He built ships in Seattle for years, and he and Ed have been friends since college. I'd sit in the back seat while he envisioned all this stuff, and Mike was in the passenger side. <laughs> Both of us were pretty, Mike and I were pretty quiet about the whole thing. I kept thinking, oh, have you thought about a condo in Maui? <laughs> Ed wasn't about to be put off from his dream. He had his eye on an old apple packing warehouse that had been standing empty for more than a decade. Carrie remembers the day Ed tracked down a phone number and made that first call. This was at a time when there weren't cell phone antennas out here, so Ed was standing in the park on top of a picnic table with his antenna in his hand, trying to wail the deal out of this guy in California for this defunct old warehouse. And people in Vicky's Cafe across the street were probably looking at him like he was some, you know, from another planet. <laughs> he also bought a second warehouse, an old church, a number of empty storefronts, some houses, a vacant lot, nine properties in all a sizable chunk of the downtown. Between upfront costs, renovations, and upkeep, it was an expensive plan. We're talking four to five million dollars expensive. Ed and his partner Mike pooled their money, borrowed a lot of it, sold some investments. Things were going kind of boom boom as much as creative businesses do, but we felt very bullish about the potential that we were developing here. Still, that's a big gamble. I asked him if there had ever been a moment of hesitation or panic. Many moments, many, many moments. But, um, you know, the thing, the way that I've often lived my life is that if your gut tells you you need to do something, jump in with both feet and figure it out. You've committed yourself. You've obligated yourself. You have to make it work. Late that summer and into the fall, Ed, Mike, and Carrie moved into phase two, figure out what the hell to do with all this real estate. They started holding meetings with a small group of creative friends who were interested in getting involved. Finally, an architect was the one who said, tell you what, let's take that smaller warehouse, convert it into 14 live-work lofts. Let's sell them to the people who are involved in this group. That will provide an anchor, and that will provide kind of the core of the group so that they can develop the ideas that we all sit around and talk about over glasses of wine and beer. They called the project Mighty Titan. Over the course of the next few years, they renovated the warehouses. One was converted into lofts. Another became a co-op of sorts to house their various independent businesses. Other properties were transformed into artist studios, administrative headquarters, vacation rentals, and event spaces. But not everyone in town was excited about all these new developments. More on that in a minute. First, I want to tell you about our sponsor. Creative Bug is a website that offers all kinds of classes on a range of crafts like sewing, jewelry making, and paper crafts. And they've got a special offer for rendered listeners. Creative Bug has classes for crafters at every level, from beginner to advanced. And new ones are added every week. You can try it free first for 30 days. Sign up for premium and apply the promo code RENDERED before you check out. Now, back to the show. When we left off, producer Phoebe Flanagan was telling us about Ed Marquand's attempt to revive one struggling small town in Washington state, 
through a kind of arts collective called Mighty Tieton. But how did the locals feel about this urbanite's plan for their hometown? To find out, I asked Jackie Williams. I met Jackie at a Mighty Tieton event this spring. She was selling handmade jewelry with her high school-aged daughter. They run a business called Orchard Monkeys. Orchard Monkeys is just a little business that I created because um, I had lost my job here actually in Titan. I worked over at the store, a little Titan general store, and it went under because the economy was bad. Jackie remembers when the Mighty Titan project first got underway. Well, it was a little confusing, you know, at first because we didn't know what was coming in, what or who was coming in. It was the talk, you know, the gossip thing of like, oh, this and this and, you know. When you're set in your ways, as it is in really a lot of small towns, and something big comes in, or something that's different and change, it, people don't like it. Mayor Stan Hall picked up on that feeling too. I think some people were resentful of the fact that Seattleites are you know, taking over the town, and I think that's kind of what it felt like to a lot of people. You know, they had all this money and they're doing all this. We tried not to be the big city guys with the big ideas, because that sort of opens you up to just a lot of failure. <laughs> That's Ed's friend Carrie again. You know, if you're a mover and a shaker in a small town, you have to be, have a little bit of patience and, and understand uh, the place you're at. If you don't understand where you're standing, it's hard to have a good idea. These days, Carrie is standing in Tieton a whole lot. It's been nearly a decade since he first came to the town. And nowadays, he and his wife call Tieton home. They run a small print shop called Goathead Press out of the larger of the two mighty Tieton warehouses. Carrie also works on the Tieton Economic Development Committee. It's a city-run organization that does projects for the community. They built a soccer field, a series of walking trails, and they're working on a basketball court. Carrie isn't the only person from mighty Tieton who's been making inroads in the local community. One group of employees joined the local Lions Club, and a few folks teamed up with leaders in the Latino community to start a Day of the Dead celebration. Making those connections with local leaders has been critical. We, we could be here for decades and we're still going to be seen as newcomers. You create alliances with a couple of the leaders in those organizations. They endorse us. Say, you know, they're not, they're not weird. They're not crazy. They're actually um, pretty practical. Let's help them out. Let's participate. I think they've grown to accept them. They have created, I'd like to say, about 17 jobs here in the city. That might sound like a drop in the bucket, but relative to Tieton's population, it's actually pretty substantial. In New York City, that'd be like employing 140,000 people. Still, Mayor Hall told me that the group's biggest economic impact has been through tourism. Before, nobody knew where Tieton was or anything about Tieton. Myself, I think it's great. I, I think the more people we get coming here, they come up for the day or for a few hours. Hopefully they'll eat at one of the restaurants or go into the antique store and purchase something. In spite of the tourism, only a handful of urbanites have actually bought property in Tieton. Property values remain virtually unchanged, and since there's so much undeveloped real estate in the area, Phoebe couldn't find anyone who'd been displaced from their home or business. But some Titan residents still aren't totally sure how mighty Titan fits with the community. Back at Bootlegger's Cove, I asked Speed Hugel and some of the other regulars what they thought about mighty Titan. We all need to be involved in it 
and help. And we ought to be able to have our voice and opinion on what is being done in the community. I don't even know exactly what the mighty Titan is, to be quite honest. I know it's down here. Carol moved here from the Vancouver area a few years back. She told me she doesn't get out much, and maybe that's why she didn't know about the organization. But Debbie Moore, who owns Bootleggers Cove with her husband Frank, didn't think Carol was in the minority. Uh, I think for most people it's a mystery. What is it It's a group of... Um, well, to tell you the truth, I think it's there's an artist studio over there. They have the uh, go-kart race out here every year. Just then, Ed walked yeah. in the door. How about the Titan Grand Prix? No, sir, I know nothing about Titan. Yeah, I just I live here. <laughs> the Titan Grand Prix has been going for three years now. It's always the last weekend in June. People from around the world come to town to race old-fashioned go-karts. Ed pulled out his iPad to show Carol a video of the gathering from last year. It's amazing. It's actually easier getting people to drive two and a half hours from Seattle to come to our events than it is to get people who live two and a blo half blocks away from the warehouse to come to the events. You can put up all the posters in the world, but unless a friend tells you about an event and encourages you to go, good chance they're not going to go. Ed hopes that one day, Mighty Titan will actually be a central part of the community. But in the meantime, he understands the town's resistance. As with many people who live in small towns or <laughs> neighborhoods, for a long time, what they really want is for their town to revert to the way it was when they were in high school. Because that's, in most people's imaginations, when it was perfect, when it was golden, when it was ideal. The economies in small towns have changed so much, they're never going to revert to the way this place was in the 50s or the 60s or the 70s. You know, the bowling alley isn't coming back, the movie theater isn't coming back, the barbershop isn't coming back. But my point to them is it can be better. It can be better than that. It'll be different. When change happens in the place where you live, it feels personal. People in small towns feel this way. People in big cities feel this way. Titan is still in the midst of a big shift that could take decades to make sense to everyone. And the revitalization Ed Marquand originally envisioned might never catch on with some people who've lived in the town all their lives. But it has put Titan on the map in a new way. This episode was produced by Phoebe Flanagan with help from engineer Brian Kramer and me, Julie Sabatier. Team Rendered also includes editor Laura Haddon, our trusted advisor Jamie Cuddy, and intern Nico Kwiatkowski. We get legal help from Cole Haver. The music in this episode comes from Levi Cecil and Seth Lorenzi at Two Track Mind. Our website is renderedradio.org. We've got some photos of Tiatin and a link to the Mighty Tiatin website so you can plan your next trip. And don't forget, we have rendered t-shirts, tote bags, and buttons. They're all at our website, renderedradio.org. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just look for Rendered Radio. And if you like what we're doing, please consider writing us an iTunes review. It's easy to do, and it'll really help us reach more listeners. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.